Good morning, everyone. My name is Aaron, and I'm filling in for Pastor Colin this morning as uh, Colin and Ashley and the kids are out getting some much-needed rest. So if you're wondering why I don't have a man bun, that's why. And Colin, if you're watching, we miss you. The pickleball courts feel very empty without you. Um, So this week, I'm going to be sharing from the story of Jesus's mother, Mary. And part of our hope is that today as we journey through the story of Mary and really her first encounter with the revelation of her destiny from God, like how God wants to use her, that you would also have an encounter with Jesus that would transform your life, that you might discover how God sees you in a fresh and new way. And I was thinking about this is that for many of us, Well, actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that Mother's Day is the third most attended Sunday of the Evangelical Christian Church year in America? So if you think about it right now, there's people all over the country who got dragged to church by their mom. (laughs) And there's people, I mean, literally, and I'm using the word dragged specifically because there are people who will not set foot in church unless you drag them there. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, but there are a lot of people who associate church with pain instead of associating church with transformation and destiny. There's a lot of people who associate church with the pain that they've experienced from people in the church and say, if God is like them, I don't want any of him. So then when they do engage with the church, when they do get dragged in, unfortunately, sometimes they show up to this group, these four walls we call the church, and they find out that we're focusing on things that don't matter that much, like the music and like how you're dressing and like whether or not you're a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a Presbyterian. And none of those questions smell very much like destiny. Instead, they kind of smell like something else. They kind of reek of like control. And what happens is is they smell so bad, it almost like chokes the potential of transformation out of this body we call the church. And then we wonder why people have to be dragged through the doors. We wonder why the next generation doesn't want to come in. We wonder why the next generation doesn't feel inspired or motivated by what is supposed to be the most transformational gathering of human beings on earth, the body of Christ. Have you thought of yourselves that way? Have you thought of yourselves in the way that you realize you are a part of the most transformational gathering on earth this morning. Most people don't feel that way. So as we step into this story of Mary, especially if you feel like you were being dragged in here against your will by your mom or your wife, I want you just to suspend your judgment for a moment. I want you just to give this time where we get into God's word, I just want you to give it a chance. I want you to open up your heart and mind and see if you can discover the transformational power that a step of faith towards God and the destiny that he has for your life can have. Because the greatest gift you could give your mother or your wife on Mother's Day is for you to find your destiny in God. 
We're going to open up to Luke chapter 1. And uh, I'm reading out of the NLT, so you may not have this translation, but that's okay. Follow along with me as we read. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. And what's more, and what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of the Lord will never fail. And so Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. This is an amazing story. I don't know if you've kind of read this. I used to try when I, especially when I was like in junior high and high school, I would try and read these stories and I would just get bored. Does anyone else read it sometimes and you get bored? Thank you. I would read it and get bored, but I'm reading things differently right now, you guys. I saw a bunch of teenagers when I said, do you read and get bored? They raised their hands. When you get old like me, it starts getting interesting. I started reading this now, and I'm reading it completely different. There's so much in here. So hang with me today. Let's go to verse 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Nazareth because Luke is being very specific here. Mary came from Nazareth, a village. Nazareth was like nowhere. Nazareth was a town that was not big. It actually wasn't even a town. It was a village. It was so small. It was like a group of houses that had some farms that they would work together. Mary was from nowhere. Mary wasn't rich. If you're living in a very small village, chances are that Mary wasn't very rich. Mary didn't have any college degrees. How many of you, when you envision Mary, you envision Mary being about 30 years old when she's pregnant? Mary wasn't 30 years old. She was young. And she was growing up in a village, and she wasn't famous, and she wasn't powerful. Mary was from very humble beginnings, and all that she knew of the world was wrapped up in a tiny village. See, Mary was from Nazareth. But the thing is, is that many of us, we come from humble beginnings as well, and this becomes our excuse for why we believe God can't use us. Have you ever thought that before? If you knew where I came from, you would know that God can't use me. If you knew that I wasn't rich, if you knew that I wasn't famous, if you knew that I didn't have nice clothes, 
then you would know that God can't use me. It's a lie, though. Because the reality is, is that Mary came from Nazareth. She came from nowhere. She was not rich. She did not come from power. She didn't have 10,000 followers. And what you need to know this morning is that you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be from the big city. It does not matter where you come from. If God wants to use you, God can use you. Why don't you turn to your neighbor to say, if God wants to use you, he can use you. Go ahead, Camille, say it to Robbie. If God wants to use you, God can use you. Toby just said it to no one. <laughs> Toby turned to no one who is sitting there. Your sister's on the other side. You can say it to her too. Okay, good. If God wants to use you, he can use you. It doesn't matter where you come from. In 1 Corinthians, it actually says this. I love this. 1 Corinthians 20, chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things of the world that are God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose those things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and he used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. If you come from nowhere, I want you to know that God can use you. Verse 27 so God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, what I want you to notice here is that what historians have shared is that at that time, the, the average age for a young woman to be betrothed, to be married, was 12 to 14 years old. 12 to 14 years old. So when you hear this story, all of you young people in the room, you don't get to check out. <laughs> you don't get to check out because this story is literally about a person your age. It's literally about a young person who's about to wrestle with faith for the first time. A lot of us think that we don't have to wrestle with faith until we get old. But the truth is, is that God, if he wants to use you, you don't have to be from anywhere powerful. You can be from anywhere. If God chooses you, he can choose you. And you don't have to be old. You can be young. Mary was probably young. She was probably 12 to 14 years old. And you've got to imagine Mary in this moment. She's from a small town. She's got no money. She's poor. And she's now we're finding out in a huge life transition because she's literally on the cusp of getting married. I mean, can you imagine being 14 years old and a girl and going, I'm about to get married. My whole world, everything I know is in this village and I'm about to get married. My whole life is about to change. You can imagine that Mary might have felt a little bit overwhelmed in that moment. So I pastored for 11 years, and one of the things that happened is our church that we planted, it grew and it grew and it grew, but what happened is over time, we had all these young families everyone started getting married. And pretty soon our lead pastor, he didn't want to do any more weddings. He's like, I don't want to officiate any more weddings. He's like, you guys have to officiate the weddings. 
So then I started officiating weddings. And one summer, I officiated like 10 weddings. And the next summer, I'm officiating a bunch more weddings and a bunch more weddings. And one of the things that I've noticed is that it does not matter the age of the bride. A wedding is stressful. <laughs> if you, it does not matter. I mean, I've married women who were getting married in their 40s. I've married women. Offici I've officiated weddings. I didn't marry them. <laughs> I have officiated weddings. <laughs> I have officiated weddings of women who are in their 40s. And I've officiated weddings of women who were 18. And it doesn't matter how old you are because the moment you say yes to getting married, stress begins to show up because your whole world is about to get turned upside down. So Mary is in this moment. She's from a small town. She's from nowhere. She's about to get married. She's in a life transition and she's young. This is crazy. And in this moment, it's the moment when God shows up. Gabriel appears to her and says, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. How many of you have noticed that God shows up at the most unexpected times in your life? He doesn't show up when you want him to. He doesn't show up when you're on the mountaintop and you're like, Look what I've done. Look at me, bask in my glory. And then God shows up and goes, Yes, look, everyone look. That's not when God shows up. God doesn't show up when things are always easy. Sometimes God shows up when you're in the midst of a struggle. And we just blow past this, but Mary's in the midst of a big struggle right now. She's a no one from nowhere, and she's about to get married off. And she's young. And then that's when God shows up, and she's probably not feeling super empowered in that moment. And then out of nowhere, boom, God is there. And the first thing that God says through the angel is, Mary, you are favored. Now, the definition of favored means to feel or show preference for. So the angel is saying, God prefers you, Mary. God prefers you. Now, the problem with this moment here for Mary, and I think it highlights a problem for many of us, is that we don't really live life like we believe that God prefers us. A lot of us live our Christian walk, and we don't believe that God is actually for us. A lot of us live our Christian walk, and we believe that we have to earn the favor of God, that you can't just receive the favor of God, but you've got to dress right, and you've got to believe right, and you have to act right. And if you don't do all of those things, you can't get the favor. But what I want to point out here is that Mary had done none of those things to earn the favor of God the favor of God was there. Now, you know, you guys, there's a lot of people right now who are not in this building. There's a lot of people who are out right now and they don't know the favor of God, but they're desperately searching for it. There's a lot of people right now that are out there in the business world and they're building their kingdoms because they believe that the favor of God looks like money. And so they get the money, or they get the fame, or they get the followers, only to find that it's hollow, because the favor of God is not something that's external. The favor of God is actually the presence of God on your life. 
Check out the next part of this verse. He says, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. The favor of God's not money or things. It's his almighty presence with you in all circumstances. That's what the favor of God is. See, we, we delude the favor of God when we think that the favor of God is he's going to make me rich. Listen, riches don't matter if God is standing next to you. Some of us delude the favor of God because you go, if the favor of God is on me, thousands of people will follow me. They'll like my Instagram post. Like. Now I know the favor of God is on me. If God is with you, it doesn't matter how many Instagram followers you have. It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter if no one likes you. It doesn't matter if you're facing impossible odds. Because if the favor of God's with you, who can stand against you? No one. And yet in this moment, this is the moment where Mary really begins to wrestle with her faith. Because this isn't ringing super true to her. In this moment, she's doing what I think many of us would do. And we go, the favor of God is on me? How? The next verse says this, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think, what could the angel mean? This is not adding up. I thought the favor of God was money. I thought the favor of God was fame. I thought the favor of God was power. And yet I'm not famous and I'm not rich and I'm not powerful. And yet you're telling me that the favor of God is with me? I think Mary might have had it backwards. I think Mary might have thought the favor was those things. And the angel's like, no, the favor is that God prefers you. God prefers you, Mary. And meanwhile, she's thinking, God prefers me. Why would he even choose me? I think a lot of us just get stuck here. I think a lot of us don't experience the favor of God because we don't believe it could be true. I think a lot of us don't, we don't experience the favor of God because we see God with a big stick. God is not the God who created the universe. He's the God with the big stick who punishes me if I'm not perfect. That's my vision of God. Some of us don't experience the favor of God because we've reduced God to the experiences that we've had with Pharisees in our churches who judge and condemn. See, but even Jesus, when he talked to the Pharisees, he talked to the chief of all the Pharisees. He talked to Nicodemus in John 3.16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then John 3.17, he says this, I sent my son into the world not to condemn the world, but that through me, the world might be saved. You realize that is the gospel truth that we stand on. That is the good news of the, of the Bible. That's the good news of Jesus is that you can't earn the favor of God, but God wants his favor to rest on you. It does not matter how insignificant you are. 
It doesn't matter if you've never created something powerful that everyone can cheer for you for. It doesn't matter if you've been addicted to drugs. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a trailer park. It doesn't matter if you've been abused or traumatized. If God chooses you, you can stand up to anything. And he's saying this here. I want my favor to rest on you. You know what heaven is? Heaven is us living in the presence of God eternally. It's us living in the ultimate favor of God. And you know what hell is? Hell is the absence of the presence of God. Hell is eternally living separated from God. And he wants us actually all to be in his favor. He wants us all to be in his presence He wants you to be completely filled with his spirit because when you are filled with his spirit, that is the most powerful future that you could ever experience in your life. Let's keep going in the story. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Verse 30, don't be afraid, Mary. The angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. This is the moment when God reveals the future to Mary. He says, Mary, this is your future. Your future is to bring Jesus into the world. But notice the first thing the angel says here to Mary. He says, Mary, don't be afraid. Now, many of you don't know me very well, but one of the things that I do is I do consulting. And one of my partners that I do consulting work with owns a company called Connect the Brain. And so I get to learn a lot about brain science. And what I want you to know this morning is that when your brain develops, it's about the size of your two fists put together. Put your two fists together real quick, your two fists. That's about the size of your brain, fully developed brain. And when your brain develops, it develops from the back to the front, And the first part of your brain that develops is the survival mode part of your brain. They call it the reptilian part of your brain. This is the part that's responsible for fight, flight, or freeze. And then there's another part of your brain. It's the last part to develop. It's up here in the front. They call it the prefrontal cortex. Now, everyone's going to sound really smart and go, what did we talk about? We talked about the prefrontal cortex at church. Okay, but let's get to why. Okay. When the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid, what he's saying to Mary is that if you give in to fear, what can happen is you'll lose access to see the future that God has for you. Because these two parts of your brain, the reptilian part, the reactive part, and the forward-thinking, planning part of your brain, what happens is if you give in to fear, you can lose access to the forward-thinking, planning part of your brain. If you give in to fear, there's a little part of your brain right in the middle. It's called the amygdala. It can literally hijack the part of your brain that thinks about the future. Have you ever been so stressed out or so scared that you couldn't even get the words out? Has anyone ever had that moment? You're like, or you're so stressed out that something that you've done a million times all of a sudden got super hard. You're like, I've done this like 20 times. Why do I keep dropping the tool? Has anyone ever been in that moment? 
The reason why is because if you get stressed enough, your brain literally shuts off part, the part of your brain that can forward think and plan, and you just go into survival mode. Have you ever seen anyone in survival mode? It's Mother's Day. Just go pick up a two-year-old. <laughs> go pick up a baby. They don't have access to the part of their brain that can forward think and plan yet. How do you know? My toy. Poof. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> don't punch people. And you ask a two-year-old, what were you thinking? And the two-year-old can't even answer you. They're like, ah, it's my toy. What do you mean? Right? They're not forward-thinking planning. So I love that this moment, the first thing that the angel basically says to me is, Mary, stay with me. Stay with me. He says, he says Mary, do not fear, for you found favor with God. He's basically saying to Mary, don't shut your brain off, Mary. This is good. By the way, if something stressful happens, but we know it's leading to something good, we can keep our brains engaged. How many people own businesses? It's like, man, building the business is stressful. But at the end, we get paid. I can do the stressful thing to get to the end where I get paid. The angel is saying to Mary right now, he's like, don't turn your brain off to the future because I want to reveal the future to you. See, if you want to see the future in God, you've actually got to take a step of faith. This is a faith moment for Mary. Because if you want to experience the transformational power of God on your life, you've actually got to trade in your fear for faith so that God can show you your future. And this is the moment for Mary. This is the most powerful future that she could ever imagine or experience is one in which Jesus was going to come through her to the world. See, if you want Jesus to come through your life, you've got to be willing to give him your fear. If you want Jesus to come through your life, you've got to step into faith. If you want Jesus to come through your life and you want him to transform your future, you can't stay in survival mode. You've got to step into vision with God. God wants to take your fear and he wants you to hand it to him. And when you hand God your fear, it's an act of faith. And when you step into faith, God says, I have a future for you. And then the next verse here, verse 34, Mary says, she asks the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. I love that Mary doesn't immediately just shut this down but she does ask a how question. How many times has God begin to open up your future and you go, God, I want to believe it, but how? How? She's like, I'm a virgin. I've never done this. I don't know how. And see, the thing is, is that if you want to do the impossible, you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to come over you. If you want to do the impossible, you've got to have the power of God on your life. See, it says this in verse 35. He says, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the baby born will be holy and that he will be called the Son of God. What's more, uh, we're going to get back to the what's more. But if you want to see God do the impossible, you've got to get under the shadow of God. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit to come over you. And I think a lot of us are afraid 
of the Holy Spirit. I think we're afraid of that part of God. It's, it's the Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we can get the idea of the Father who created the heavens and the earth. And we can look in creation. And we can go for hikes. And we can get out and go, wow, God is real. And we can even wrestle and grasp with the idea that God loved us so much that he sent us his son, Jesus. He sacrificed for me. I can connect with that. But then there's this third part, the Holy Spirit. Because when Jesus leaves the earth, he said, I'm actually leaving one more powerful than I that's going to empower you to do what I've called you to do. He's going to leave the Holy Spirit so that we can do what we're called to do. But some of us are afraid of engaging with the Holy Spirit. We're afraid to engage with the Lord on that level. And so that what happens is we take small actions in our own power. God calls us into a future. He calls you to talk to that person at work that you're nervous but that you know is hurting and needs to hear about the good news of Jesus. He calls you to do something bold. He calls you to go and break into a conversation where you need to offer forgiveness. He calls you to do the difficult thing, but because we're not covered by the power of the Holy Spirit, we step out in our own power. And when we step out in our own power into the impossible situation, we do it in our own power. And what happens is we get small results. We step out in our own power and we get small results. And when you get small results, what does it do to your confidence? It gives you small confidence. And when you get that level of small confidence, it causes your faith to get small. And then the next time that a moment comes around where God's calling you out to touch your future, to step into what he has for you, now you've gone around once and you did it in your own power and you got small results and it lowered your confidence and then you stepped out and now your faith is small and the next time he asks you, you step out again, but this time with even less confidence and you get smaller results and then your confidence goes down even more and your faith gets diminished. And then what happens is pretty soon, we trade our faith in for what we can control instead of trading our faith in for what God can do. And how many of us have been there where we're so discouraged because we no longer see faith as something that God engages us with, and we see his faith as something that I have to do and control. And this is that moment that Mary is in. Because Mary's coming to this realization that if you want to see Jesus come through you, you've got to let the Holy Spirit overshadow you. She can't do it in her own power. And if you want to see a miracle of God's redeeming power in your life, you've got to stop trying to do it on your own. And you've got to get with the source of power himself. Some of us want to see God move, but we've got to let the Holy Spirit in. When uh, Sarah and I were young and married, um, something really neat happened, and it was that Sarah's grandparents moved to the town that we were living in. Uh, Sarah's grandparents are not Christians, not believers, and we lived in this town about 10 miles away. It was called Anderson. Um, it is this little town. We lived right next to the fairgrounds. So we had this little house and literally across the street was the parking lot for the fairgrounds. And so it was loud all the time. And it was kind of a rundown part of this little small town, but it was all we could afford. We were happy. 
I remember Sarah being pregnant. She was uh, maybe six, seven, eight months pregnant with Toby. We had a swamp cooler. We didn't have central heating and air. And she was big <laughs> with a baby, with a baby. <laughs> she was big with a baby. And that's the important part. She was pregnant and we would pull the lazy boy under the swamp cooler and she would just sit there and cry. It was so hot. You need to know like where we came from. Here is humid. There it's hot. It's like 115 degrees. Like it would get 115, 110. So it's hot, no humidity. So she would lay under this air conditioner and just, and just cry. And so we started staying at her mom's house when she, towards the end of the pregnancy because she couldn't handle it anymore. And so when Sarah's grandparents moved to town, they're like, we've got to get you out of Anderson. And they bought homes in this nice neighborhood in Redding, which was the bigger city 10 miles up the road. And they're like, we want you guys to move into this neighborhood. And I'm thinking, I want to move into that neighborhood too, but how? Right? How? And grandma and grandpa who didn't know God, they said, we want to be around you guys. And they said, how much can you afford? So we told them how much we'd been paying in, in our mortgage in that little house in Anderson. They said, okay, that's your new mortgage payment. They bought us a house in their nice neighborhood. And we had this like commune. It was like Sarah's grandparents' house, two blocks, our house, two blocks, Sarah's mom's house. And for the next couple of years, we did a lot of life together as family. And the thing was about grandma and grandpa is that they were rough. They were like chain smoking, drinking, cussing, inappropriate. Grandpa was pretty racist. I mean, it, and we're going down there and we're having babies and they're like, chain smoking. We're like, oh gosh, I didn't cover the baby's nose. But see, the thing was, is that we're going over to grandma and grandpa's house and they're just happy because they're having an interaction with us. They're getting the experience of getting to be great grandparents. But what they didn't know was that since Sarah was a young girl, Sarah was praying for their salvation. You've got to imagine from the time that Sarah was young, this was the impossible dream that grandma and grandpa would come to know Jesus. And so when we lived in that neighborhood, every time we would go over to that house, Sarah wasn't just going to be with grandma and grandpa. She was going looking for opportunities to love them and to lead them to Jesus. And she was praying for them and covering them. And over time, they got older and they got sicker. And grandma passed away, and grandpa was left. And he was on hospice, and he was in that house that we had gone to. And Sarah, who had been being faithful with an impossible dream, who had been praying for her grandma and grandpa to know Jesus for years and years, she came into the room. Grandpa could no longer speak. He could no longer speak, but you could see his eyes. He was still aware, and he was laying in his bed. And before he couldn't speak, he had opened up to Sarah, and he said, God could never love me for what I've done. See, Grandpa had left one family. He had a number of kids with one wife family. He left them and walked away and started a new life with a new family. And he got excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And he carried this pain of disconnection because of his sin. He carried this pain of disconnection his whole life, and he was an angry person. Angry, angry, angry. We used to call it, say, Grandpa's in a black mood. When Grandpa's in a black mood, it's like, don't go near Grandpa. Because he was, he was salt, he was mean. 
and you would just stay away from grandpa. And so here's this man laying on his deathbed and he can't speak anymore. And God began to speak to Sarah and God said, tell grandpa the story of David. And so as grandpa laid on his hospital bed, God initiated with Sarah a moment of faith. But the thing was, is that moment of faith wasn't the first time that God had engaged in faith with Sarah. It wasn't the first time God had put it on her heart because for years she said, I can't see what's happening on the other side, God, but I'm choosing to step in with you. And so she would step in with God and she'd say, only in your power, God, could you change their life? And grandpa had opened up and he said, God could never forgive me. And so she went into his room and he's literally dying, but he could still see, could still register. And she said, grandpa, God loves you. He can forgive you. I know you believe that God could never forgive you, but there was a man in the Bible and the Holy Spirit came on my wife. The Holy Spirit came on Sarah because she allowed God to shadow over her. She got under the power of God and God began to speak to her. She said, there was a man in the Bible named David and he also committed adultery and he murdered people. He murdered a man. So he's a murderer. He's an adulterer. And yet he humbled himself before God. And God said that David was a man after his own heart. Can you imagine Sarah who had been praying for her grandpa since she was a little girl? And because she walked in faith, even when she couldn't see it, God used her as the instrument to see her grandfather come into the kingdom. Because tears begin to roll down grandpa's face. And my wife ministered to her grandfather in that day. And we believe that grandpa is in heaven today. Sometimes faith is a moment. Sometimes we need faith in a moment. Like, God, I'm praying for my finances. God, I need a breakthrough. Sometimes, sometimes faith is a moment. You're at work and you feel overwhelmed and there's something crazy that's going on. You go, God, I need faith to stand up and lead in this moment. But sometimes faith is a journey. I want us to read here in verse 36. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she's conceived a son and is now in her six months for the word of the Lord will never fail. See, we talked about faith being young, but there's also faith that you carry throughout your life. Elizabeth was older. And matter of fact, you have to get a little bit into Elizabeth's reality. She was barren. That was a disgrace in those times. To not be able to produce children was a disgrace. She, was, she experienced disconnection. She experienced coming into the synagogue and having other women go, oh, I wonder what she did. I wonder why she's not able to have kids. See, Elizabeth had grown up in a faith where she had experienced that disgrace and that disconnection, but she also was a woman of faith. Earlier in this chapter, it talks about Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, and they were both people that were good people. They served the Lord. 
But Elizabeth was serving the Lord and it was growing her faith. And what I want to say is some of you are like Elizabeth. You've been carrying faith for years. Some of you have been carrying faith for your children. Some of you have been carrying faith for your spouse. Some of you have been carrying faith for your family or reconciliation with your family. And you haven't seen the fruit of your faith. But what I want to tell you this morning is don't give up. Because sometimes the dream that God's planted to birth through you looks like a journey. God planted a dream in my wife's heart that her grandparents would know Jesus. And it was a journey of years of prayers, years of crying out to the Lord. And Elizabeth is in the same place because God planted it in her heart to say, God, I want a child. And there's people on the outside who don't believe anymore. What does faith look like when you're on a journey? It looks like holding on when others don't understand. It looks like continuing to risk with God, even when it seems like there's no reward. It looks like holding on to hope, even when your closest people lose the hope. Like this is what's crazy about Elizabeth's story is God sends Gabriel to Zechariah, just like God sends uh, Gabriel to Mary. I was just noticing this last night. I was laying in bed looking over the notes, and I'm like, oh my gosh, the, the angel Gabriel says the same thing to Zechariah that he says to Mary. And the difference is Zechariah's got years of experience with the Lord, but Zechariah's response to the angel saying that there's going to be a baby is that Zechariah looks at the angel and he says, show me the proof. And Mary says, show me how. That's the difference between doubt and faith. Doubt says, you show me the proof. Faith, faith says, you show me how. And in this moment, Zechariah is in Elizabeth's life. And when God shows up to Elizabeth, she's like, yes, Lord, I've been praying for this. She steps in faith. But even her husband had lost the hope. He says, I want to see the proof. And so the difference between this moment of faith and this moment of doubt is whether you say, show me the proof, God, or show me how. See, sometimes you need faith for a moment. And sometimes God wants you to carry faith for the journey so that he can transform you under his shadow so that he can show others that God's word never fails. Verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And then the angel left her. As we wrap up this passage, I want to invite up the worship team. I just want to point out the fact that when it comes to this journey of faith, we really have a choice. We have a choice. I know that so many of us, sometimes we do feel dragged into this thing called church. But I want you for just a minute to like not think of church as the four walls. I want you to think about church as the gathering of people who are moving together in an act of faith to say, God, would you transform my life? And the thing is, is that I think we have a choice. Like here in this verse, we have a choice. Will we lay down our fears and let God's favor rest on us so that he can transform our future like Mary. 
She had to lay down her fear. She couldn't give in, give in to catastrophizing. She couldn't go into survival mode. Mary had to step into fear so that God could transform her future. And some of you are here today and you need to make that choice. You need to say, God, would you transform my fear into faith? so that you can give me a future. But you need to know the moment that you say that, if you're gonna say, God, transform my fear. You need to know that you've gotta have the right heart here. Mary says, I am your servant. It's going to cost you something because if you're gonna have that kind of faith, there's gonna come moments when you have to be willing to be used by God. Like Sarah, who stepped into the moment to pray for her grandfather. You have to step out in faith. Like Annette, who when God said, I want you to give generously, she stepped out and she gave. There's gonna be moments when you've gotta be willing to serve. And then there's gonna be moments where you've gotta be willing to believe, believe, believe that it can come true. Because that's where Mary ends. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. You've got to say, God, I believe it can come true. And the question is, will you step out in faith like Mary? Or will you trade your future in for what you can control? That's the question this morning. I want to invite you to stand.